FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 446 of the podcast that goes snicked, snicked. I'm your host, Jason Venable, and we're going to close out Heroes Reborn, kind of. <laughs> um, yeah, and so we'll also, you know, take take a minute to clear our, our dance card again uh, for the Hellfire Gala. Um, uh, well, more to come on that later. We're going to gonna do something a little bit different and special for that uh, than what I originally planned. And some other plans are also changing. So, you know, flexibility, man, that's what it's all about. Can't be as stiff as adamantium on your schedule all the time. Sometimes you have to be more like... Uh, Unadamantium. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So I'm going to just talk about a few things. I won't. Don't know if it'll be a shorter episode or a normal episode. Depends on how much I end up having to say. But some uh, some brief Wolverine appearances, and then of course you know uh, we will we'll finish out Heroes Reborn. So I wanted to do a little bit of catch up. Um, Heroes Reborn number five. It does have a Sabretooth appearance. I tried to read it and I could not. Um, <laughs> I just wasn't into it at all. I haven't really dug the event overall. I will have something positive to say about it in a minute. But for issue number five, uh, basically uh, Nighthawk is on some kind of mission and he goes to Ravencroft, which uh, of course uh, is kind of uh, Marvel's Arkham Asylum now, right? Um, it's definitely definitely like the super villains that are crazy and and. You know, it's funny because Nighthawk is kind of like, uh, in Heroes Reborn, it's kind of like a cross between, like, well, no, that's not, it's going to sound really stupid. Um, he's a, he's a Batman character in a lot of ways. I, there's some, like, Captain America in there, but not really, um, I mean, he's, he is the leader, he's the president, uh, maybe, so maybe there's some Lex Luthor in there, I don't know, but, but definitely some, some Batman analogs, you know, as he was originally... You know, intended to be, and and here is very. This is very much like a Batman goes to Arkham kind of story. It looks like, like I said, I, you know, it wasn't so much Jason Aaron's writing, though I haven't enjoyed his writing as much on the story as I usually do, like on his Thor, for example, or his, you know, Wolverine and the X Men stuff. But um, it is very much a a, a Batman goes to Arkham, Nighthawk goes to uh, Ravencroft, and um. Of, of the myriad plethora of insane bad guys that are trapped there, there is a saber tooth. And, you know, anyway, what I was saying a second ago, it's not really so much the writing that turned me off on this book big time, but the art. I just couldn't really get into it. Um, guy's name was something Guerra, I think. R.M. Guerra. And, I don't know. It was not that it was necessarily bad. It was kind of one of those art styles that was kind of, um, yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is probably not the right way to describe it. I have many times before, and it never really hit me how kind of awkward it is. So, intentionally ugly is probably not the right word, but there's a there's an art style that, that people do, right? And they choose. It's a choice. It's a craft. It's something they practice. Where things are just distorted a little bit in kind of um, a non-classical way. And it's not necessarily that it's sketchy. It's like... It really is. I mean, I kind of compare it to like you know old MTV animation, right? Where it just 
there's a choice to make things kind of unappealing to traditional traditional artistic values, right? And so this is definitely that kind of art. And I there's not very often that I really like that. There are times where I do. And I'm trying to think of a good example and I can't. But um you know, but and this was not necessarily one of those times. So I, I didn't really, I can't really grade it because I didn't really read the whole thing. I just kind of flipped through it and that was that. I mean, Sabretooth is in like one page and, you know, I was kind of kind of done. And I do want to say uh, Heroes Reborn number seven, the last chapter before next week's Heroes Return did also come out. My comic shop did not have any. So I did not get a chance to flip through it. I don't think there's any Wolverine or Sabretooth in there, but I could be wrong. And if I'm wrong, maybe I can catch it later and, and kind of go backwards and, and talk about it. But Wolverine is very much in one of the, the, the tie-in books, one of the special books that we're going to talk about, which is actually pretty decent. Um, and that's going to be Weapon X and Final Flight number one uh, is kind of a the Heroes Reborn version of kind of Alpha Flight, but of course it includes um, Wolverine, and so we're going to talk about that one. Um, yeah, it's called Freedom or Death, and it's written by Ed Brisson, uh, art by Roland Boshi, or Boshi, colors by Chris O'Halloran, letters by VCs Corey Pettit, and um, Tony Daniel and Marcelo Maiolo do the cover, and it's a pretty good cover. Um, we have a version of Wolverine standing front and center in like a snowy, blizzardy type weather. We have Shaman and uh, Guardian flanking him, or these versions. And then in the back, we have a version of Sasquatch and a version of Aurora. And one thing that's interesting about Aurora that doesn't really come into the episode as much. Actually, when I zoom in, it's not what I thought it was anyway. So, so anyway, um, she has a bat that has barbed wire on it, very much like Negan from Walking Dead. But it also made me think of that bat that had like the, the time crystals on it from that um, astonishing Wolverine and Spider-Man story. Um, I thought maybe it was kind of a nod to that, but I think it's more uh, just a Walking Dead thing. Um, anyway, it's a pretty good cover. It looks, looks pretty nice. So we have that for sure. Um, so... As we get into it here, what we have is the story of Wolverine in this universe. And we start off with uh, two years ago. And so basically, after the uh, Squadron Supreme kind of rule America, uh, they turn their eyes on Canada, or at least the more um, resourceful parts of Canada, like lumber and oil. And they kind of invade and so Wolverine leads uh, Alpha Flight or Final Flight I actually think it's called is it Omega Flight in this book I don't know if actually I'm trying to remember what it says but anyway he's leading them and he has Shaman um, kind of mystically enhance his claws and via that he is able to stab and kill Hyperion which makes the the lady uh suprema is that her name uh pretty mad and she is really vindictive uh there is a cool fight between nighthawk and wolverine um you know and they talk about how um this is kind of alpha flight yeah it is alpha flight and their last stand so the cool thing about about wolverine here 
and maybe going back to the covers. So the costume designs, right? He's very much kind of in his northern Canadians civvies, right? He's got like brown, just regular pants on with a belt. And then he's got like a Wolverine type costume, but it's just like a sleeveless t-shirt. It's pretty cool. Um, he does have like little pegs and dots and slivers of adamantium in his arm, kind of reminding you of the Weapon X process. Uh, Guardian is almost a cross between the Guardian armor and the box armor, if you're uh, familiar with Alpha Flight. Um, Shaman is almost dressed like Doctor Strange a little bit. And then Aurora um, looks pretty much like an Aurora costume. And the, but Sasquatch has giant, almost uh, like badger claws and then horns. So a little bit a little bit more monstrous. But yeah, some two years ago, they're making their last stand. They're, they're doing all right. And they do kill Hyperion, but then they start getting their, their butts handed to them. And Shaman teleports them away. But of course, uh, the Squadron Supreme swear revenge, and so we go to two years later, and the Squadron Supreme's forces have been ferreting out Alpha Flight, who has gone underground, right? But they also have all these these people, these Canadian patriots, who have been helping them, and Squadron Supreme has been rounding them up and and capturing them, and Nighthawk, you know, goes on a mission, and then you know we go to Ontario and. You know, what's interesting is we meet this guy called the Professor, who looks a lot like the Professor from the Weapon X story, like in Marvel Comics Presents, right? But we find out later that he was Mac Hudson's brother, and I don't think there's ever been any connection made between... Not, if I'm wrong and this comes like in a period of the 90s that they either haven't read yet or haven't read in a long time, then I apologize. But I don't remember there being any direct correlation between the Hudsons and the professor from the Weapon X program. It's an interesting tie-in that Brisson does. Because he doesn't say, they just call the guy professor, right? And he, he's bald and skinny and has glasses. So you immediately tie him to that story visually. And then when you find out he's Hudson's brother, you're like, oh, wow. And that can be really interesting, like, in the real world, what would happen if Wolverine found out that, you know, the guy he tur that turned him into Weapon X was actually, like, one of his best friend's brothers. Like, that, that there can be some good drama there, right? Um, so, anyway, I no, no. But, anyway, it, it was kind of cool. Anyway, so they uh, they, they go to a, an underground base in Ontario, and they're just really tired. They're tired of running. Sasquatch, in particularly, is, like, you know, he blames Wolverine, you know, you, you're killing Hyperion, you know, as revenge for Jean Grey. We find out that that's been his driving force. He's like, it's not as much, that wasn't a move for Canada, that was a personal move for you. And, and it's kind of ruined our lives, basically. And I don't know why they thought they were fighting Squadron Supreme and trying to protect Canada. They'd probably have to kill or incapacitate Squadron Supreme anyway. But I guess he was hoping for something maybe a little more... Peaceful, or maybe, you know, his real bitterness is just the fact that they've just kind of objectively failed, right? They haven't been able to free Canada completely or, you know, stage any kind of uprising or do anything. So maybe, I think he's probably just mad to be mad at everything because his life has not turned out the way he wants, either for himself or his country, which is, you know, an interesting way to kind of approach that. Um, he and Aurora are together. They're a couple, but she does not... 
she loves him, but she can't completely side with him because she wants to avenge her brother's death as well. The squadron uh, killed Northstar, and so she very much is very much both personal and national for her. And Sasquatch doesn't really understand; he gets mad at Wolverine. Uh, it's interesting. So, um, the the person in the guardian armor, that looks kind of like Box, is the Hudson's daughter. Both of the, both Heather and Mac have apparently been deceased, and the the daughter took over the armor kind of against their wishes. Like they wanted something better for her, and she's just kind of a jaded teenager. It's a pretty pretty cool little character. Um, yeah. So Sasquatch gets mad. He runs off. Um, we find out, so the professor has the, like this science tube with science liquid, and we he hooks Logan up to like profe- uh, to Weapon X type stuff. He has the traditional Weapon X helmet, and that's his way of kind of reading and monitoring Logan's progress. And what's interesting is they, they never, the word Wolverine is not in this comic. So we have Logan and we have Weapon X, and apparently in this universe, you know, Weapon X is a positive thing. He was used by the Canadian government to be kind of their version of a superhero, a super soldier, you know, much like, you know, Weapon 1, Captain America leads into Weapon 10, right? Um, kind of plays a more more heroic, idyllic version of that. Instead of him being tortured about it and losing memories and stuff, he just it's just part of what happened to him um, to serve his country, right? And so, you know, he every now and then he gets back in the tube and kind of recharges and just gets gets some tests run to make sure he's doing all right and uh he gets out and he talks about how he understands that like he knows they're exhausted they're all tired they're they're wondering you know if they're really getting anything accomplished but he says that every time he closes his, his eyes he sees all the people that he lost right gene puck Northstar, Mac, Heather, Marina, Talisman which is Shaman's daughter by the way so he's got some some pretty pretty deep there's definitely some some a lot of loss on this team right and so anyway professor's like yeah you know i I get it but you know you have to give them something to fight for right i mean you know your focus cannot be split so much it's really just been about avenging the lives you lost he wants you to give them something to fight for right something to to have a better future in canada right and so Logan's like, yeah, I think I understand, right? So the next morning, he's he decides he's going to try to do something a little different. He wants to call a team meeting, but Sasquatch is gone. And Wolverine gets a beer for breakfast, <laughs> of course. And they ask, like, are we going to go try to track him down? He's like, no, no, I he's been unhappy for a while. We kind of saw this coming. Let's decide what we need to do. And um, you know, it kind of turns to the team and says, you know, the rest of you guys, you know, if you you're not happy with how this is gone or you're tired of running and tired of fighting a no-win situation like i understand if you want to bail and do something else but no one does um but it's interesting because he goes you know it was he says you know we're waiting for another shot at the squadron but really all we've been doing is putting other people's lives at risk because they helped us sasquatch couldn't live with that anymore and to be honest neither can i and it's a really really nice little thing um Interesting uh, what Boshi does with the forearms is there's three metal slivers in his forearm, I guess, that are at the ends of the claws before they're protracted. But you can see it through his arm. It's it's interesting visual. I wouldn't say it's preferable, but it is interesting. It's something, you know, different, right? And so, um, anyway, they all decide that they get a lead um, on a base, 
and um, and basically say, you know, the Squadron Supreme's been trying to ferret us out, so let's go out in the open, we'll lay a trap, we'll be our own bait, and, and so they do that. You know, a week or so later, they're up in Windsor, Nova Scotia, and they attack a Squadron Supreme base and just go to town and just start fighting the bad guys. And, you know, they're doing pretty good, right? And they capture them, and Wolverine does the classic where he puts the claws up to a guy's face, and um, he says, you know, where's Nighthawk? And, uh, uh, you know, y'all came to capture us. Where is he? And he's like, he's not here. I don't know where he is. And he's like, why? And he goes, I want you to pass along a message. You tell them, the squadron, and they don't let all the people they've rounded up, all these patriots, they don't let them go. Next time your team come, we encounter your team, we're killing you. We're not going to let you go. And so the next day, um, Sasquatch comes back. And he has some information, and um, you know he goes, "I thought I could, I thought I could go, like use my powers and, and break break some of these guys free, like do something good, but I couldn't. They're all going to be executed, and um, you know they're just they're just gonna they're gonna kill all of them, and so they're gonna be on this trial. It's but it's a farce, and you know we we gotta we gotta help them, and I can't do it by myself." And there's going to be this this transport, right? So we'll break in and we'll get the transport. And it's kind of convenient, but I will be honest. I don't think I totally saw <laughs> saw it coming. But um, anyway, they go and they attack the the transport and they open up. They peel open the back of this armored car and the squadron's waiting for them. And basically, what the squadron promised was that they, if he turned over Logan. You know, for killing Hyperion, who, by the way, is back alive. They don't really ever say how. I don't know if that was covered in one of the other issues or not, that he can just resurrect himself. I'm not sure. But, um, anyway, so they, they go to town, and Shaman's going to teleport them away, but Sasquatch attacks him, knocks him down, knocks him out. It doesn't appear to hurt him too bad, but definitely takes him out of the action. And Alpha Flight's like, what, what have you done? What are you doing? And... You know, the Squadron Supreme just kind of beat the hell out of Alpha Flight. And they they take him, and Hyperion gets his revenge against Logan. And he's beating him up, and Logan's like, that all you got? And Hyperion's like, no. And he just continues. He just whoop him. And I guess either Adamantium can't cut Hyperion, maybe? Because he says, without those shamans' magic, I can't, I can't put a dent in him. And so Hyperion just beats him up. And then he... You know, you know, Hyperion's a Superman analog, right? If Nighthawk's Batman, Hyperion's like a bad Superman. And after he beats up Logan, he takes him and he shoots heat waves into his eyes and, like, blows him up from the inside. And then he has Dr. Spectrum, like, take him to a distant planet. So he takes him away. And then Hyperion's like, all right, guys, um, Sasquatch betrayed you. But we're going to honor our deal. We got Logan. If you guys will quit fighting us, we have no beef with you. Right? We'll let the, all the other prisoners go, like Sasquatch wanted. That was part of his deal. And we'll let you guys go. We're done, if you're done. And they leave. And uh, Guardian puts a gun up to Sasquatch's head after they leave. And Sasquatch is like, do it. Grabs a gun, pulls it in closer, says, just finish me. But he can't. He hits him, and they're all they're all just really mad. And they leave him sitting in the road, kneeling, and they all walk off and go their separate ways. And then we find um, 
Logan on a distant planet with no atmosphere, and he says, you know, Dr. Spectrum says, either you'll die or your healing factor will keep bringing you back and you'll just keep suffocating. And it'll just be an endless cycle. And you can't, there's nowhere for you to go, right? You can't go anywhere. And that's how it ends. And it's kind of a dark, bleak ending. Um, you know, I've talked about before, kind of there's two versions of Ed Brisson, right? There's, first of all, there's the uh, the old one he did with, uh, was it Joe or Johnny Christmas? I don't remember. But Shelter, that was really good, right? Then he came over to Marvel and... Had some good stuff and some not so good stuff, right? I really liked his old man Logan. Especially his dead man Logan was fantastic, right? It was a book that we highly regarded here on the podcast. But didn't necessarily love his other X-Men stuff so much. And have not really loved lately his X-Men stuff. But this was pretty decent, I gotta say. It was pretty good. I didn't love the art. It was alright. Like I, I've read Boshi before or I've liked him better. I thought this was was not bad. It was pretty good. And the story is pretty good. Um, a different take on Wolverine, giving some different motivations. I'm sorry, not Wolverine. Um, Weapon X, giving us some different motivations and stuff. And, you know, pretty fun. And, I don't know, like, this kind of just slice of the Hero Reborn universe and giving it kind of the almost, like, underground militia vibe or even, like, I don't know, just the kind of the political, like, it almost reminds you of, like, an apocalyptic board game or something, right? Like, you're playing, playing Risk or whatever, I don't know. There's, there's something about this, the feel and vibe of this issue that just made you think of, like, you know, a ragtag band of heroes, you know, running on the run, but still trying to fight. I don't know, it just, it worked. This worked for me. Um, I'm not going to say I loved it, but I quite enjoyed it. I, I think I would definitely give it a, a solid... Four out of six claws for Weapon X and Final Flight number one part, as part of the Heroes Reborn uh, universe here. Um, definitely enjoyed it. I would recommend taking a look at it, you know, even if you haven't enjoyed the Heroes Reborn stuff. And I, I would say probably if you have been enjoying it, you'll probably like this even more than I did, right? Because if, if you already are a fan of the Squadron Supreme, it definitely gives them a chance to shine. Um you know, and it's just just a, a, a good good inroad into that story. So, what we're going to talk about next is uh, Children of the Atom number four, which is the last issue of that series before uh, the Hellfire Gala. And I know that's already started, right? Um, but we're still we're, we're playing a little catch up before we cover it here on the show. Um, so, Children of the Atom number four is. Of course, written by Vida Ayala. I, I did not say that right at all. Vida Ayala. A, I don't. I feel like I've said their name right before, and I can't say it tonight, so I apologize, Vida. Um, anyway, Paco Medina is the artist. David Curiel, the colorist. VCs Travis Landham is the letterer, and designed by Tom Mueller. There's a cover by Arby Silva and Jesus Arbuto, which is pretty good. Um, it's just kind of a classic, you know, pose cover. We have, um, oh, what's the, the, they have everyone's code names here. We have Marvel Guy front and center, and then, um, he is flanked by Cyclops Lass and Gimmick 
and day crawler or nighty night crawler and then cherub is flying behind him in the back and then the bad guys kind of getting tossed around it's a pretty I mean, it's a pretty good cover i will say there's the bernard chang variant with a uh, nighty night crawler and night crawler like a kind of a a hero and you know the inspired and the inspiree together and it's them kind of teleporting in and there's a giant like hot pink vamp that's like most of the cover and they're kind of in the middle of it it's it's really nice that's the one i got um i really like it quite a bit and, you know bernard Chang, of course the artist who started this book but medina has been doing a bang up job as well so we kind of continue uh Vita, they kind of continue the trend of these books of focusing on a character and this time we focus on benjamin thomas and you know his brother of course is jj i guess he'll get a focus here pretty soon but we get a really just a lot of look into him and kind of his parental situation i guess his his dad um left his family and immediately shacked up with uh, jj's mom so he got kind of an instant new family but didn't really get along with them at first and he was a big wolverine fan which is interesting because he has gene's kind of power set but he loves wolverine and he has like a notepad and he's like drawing wolverine all over his notebook and stuff it's, it's pretty cool um it's interesting you know kind of kind of gene and wolverine again which is not <laughs> not my favorite but um it's cool that he kind of has you know the attitude and and fandom and wolverine but then ends up with gene's powers and um there's a lot of them kind of doing this cool stuff and so what happens basically is we get another flashback just slowly adding little clues um about them we've you know we, we found out about the ship this kind of almost fantastic four type ship that they don't really know how they got in there they found it or they were captured by it or, or whatever but now we see them with these all these like doodads and weapons that can mimic mutant powers and like we see that originally the uh the gun that will become part of cyclops glasses visor is actually like it's actually like a little handgun that shoots like an optic blast and there's the wings and they have a, a machine that the benjamin finds that manipulates people mentally he doesn't even mean to he's like whoa that's scary we probably ought to get rid of this and he makes a gimmick um kiss him and of course that's weird because you know she's like oh, i'm it's not that i'm not into you it's that i'm not into guys <laughs> and so you know and that there's a there's a scene later they get in that that pretty explicitly but and we kind of already know that about her having read the previous issues and so when he kind of manipulates her mentally into kissing him or falling for him like even he knows he's like no that's not how i want this to go um i don't know about all this but everyone else is really excited and there's this cool part where um we have snick snacked which is a a, a group <laughs> uh featuring dark colossus and faintly frosted stitches uh weapon extra um is a a band and it's the band that Benjamin is part of, I think he's a drummer of it, and uh, and their song is Snick Snacked, and that's that's pretty cool. Obviously, he's a big Wolverine fan. Uh, the album cover is uh, a fist with three claws in the air. Uh, is is pretty cool. Um, 
yeah, there's a part where uh, a gimmick comes to visit him in his house with his new his new family. He's kind of being annoying, and he's down in the basement. And he's playing drums, and he's got like Wolverine and Deadpool posters all over the wall, which is pretty great. And um, his bass drum says Phoenix Force, and I thought maybe that was the name of the band, but I think it's definitely Weapon Extra, or maybe that's his name. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe Phoenix Force is the band, and Weapon Extra is like his music name because it says. Weapon Extra shreds on guitar and lead vocals with the verse from Dark Colossus and backups by Fainting Frosted Stitcher. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Phoenix Force is the name of the band, which is a pretty cool name for a band, in the, especially in, like, in the comic book universe, right? Um, yeah, he's down there practicing drums, and she comes to talk to him, and they're kind of talking about what they should or shouldn't do. Um, so they find out, basically, that... Um, the X, the X-Men are having this Hellfire Gala on Krakoa. Because remember, their whole, these kids' whole missions, they've been trying to get through the gates, right? And, you know, I don't, I still don't really understand why they think they can. And they haven't been altered in any way. Or maybe they think the weapons have some kind of, like, free pass. We're still, that's still kind of a mystery. And it's, it's almost going on a little too long, but I mean the characterization in these books is strong enough. I think it's kind of okay. It's, it's, it's passable, but um. Anyway, they they find out about the gala, and the gala means that the gates will be open to non-mutants. But they decide, well, that's true, but I'm sure it's not just anyone can get a Krakoa. I'm sure there's like an invite list or some kind of pass that'll be handed out. I mean. But they decide this is their time to try, though. They can try to sneak through the gate and get to Krakoa like they want to. This The gala is their chance. And so they get in their costumes, and they're going to go try to find a gate and try to get in. But they get attacked by this group. And I'm trying to remember if they say who the group is. I don't think they explicitly say. I feel like we've seen them in previous issues a little bit. They attack, and they're getting kind of beat, but uh, Nighty Nightcrawler is able to get away. He's able to run away and while they get captured, and then at the very end, he comes back with some X-Men. He has Nightcrawler and Pixie and Storm and Cyclops and Jean and Maggot and Wolverine and Magma, and it's pretty cool. Um, I'm not entirely sure if it's really them or not. Um, but it seems like the last page leads us to believe because he has he yells, "Ninety Nightcrawler yells a big X symbol, <laughs> like Avengers assemble, but for X Men." Um, and it seems I know the X Men have reached out to the kids, right? So they're definitely aware of them. They want to know what's going on, why Cerebro doesn't detect them, but why there's these mutants running around in X Men costumes using X Men powers. They've and they've already tried to to have them come back to Krakoa with them and they they decided not to they didn't need their help so they definitely are i think would be willing to help and so maybe when 90 nightcrawler reached out to them and he's like well yeah let's go let's go help let's go save them from these bad guys and that makes sense it's a pretty stacked rescue team i mean cyclops and gene storm wolverine nightcrawler i mean yeah, it's rounded out by Pixie, Maggot, and Magma, which are which are great, but you know probably not a a list powerhouses. But 
man, the rest of that group, like that's that's not just a, oh yeah, let's send some guys to help this kid. That's like, let's bring the big guns. Um, that's the only reason I'm not sure maybe what's going on. But Storm, at least explicitly, was very, very interested in trying to reach out and help them. So it makes sense that she's there. So anyway, art of this book is great. I thought the story was pretty good. It was definitely, I think, one of the better issues of the book. Um, you know, the plot, I'm still trying to figure out kind of what's going on, but the characterization has been really the strong point of Vita's writing in this book. And um, this one, some of the dialogue and stuff felt a lot more natural. Um, and I'm trying to decide if I want to give this four or five. I think I... I don't know, I think I enjoyed it enough. And the art is so good. Um, I think I'll go ahead and give it... Uh, I'll give it five out of six claws. That may be a little generous, but I, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. And so, yeah. So that's Children of the Adder, number four. Wolverine's on the last page, and that's it. Well, I don't know. If you counted the posters and stuff, he's kind of all over the book. <laughs> so, anyway. Uh-oh. What's that? Um, my ad in my comics is making noise. But, so what we're going to talk about next is Venom 200 because Wolverine is in there just briefly um, so this is of course the climactic conclusion not only kind of as a uh, epilogue to King in Black but like uh, Donnie Cates and Ryan Stegman's swan song uh, and J.P. Meyer and Frank Martin as well who have have done this book for about 35 issues it says so I've dipped in and out of it I haven't really necessarily loved it um, there are parts of it I liked and I've talked about you know the father-son dynamic has been probably the most interesting piece of this to me but anyway we have a whole lot in here so our writers are Donnie Cates with Philip Kennedy Johnson our pencilers are Ryan Stegman, Kev Walker, Danio S. Veru, Ron Lim, uh, Gui Villanova, Gerardo Sandoval, and Mark Bagley. Our inkers are J.P. Meyer, J. Shh, listen. Kev Walker, Danio S. Veru, Scott Hanna, Gio Villanova, Gerardo Sandoval, and Victor Nava and John Dell. Our colors are Frank Martin, Chris O'Halloran, Jim Campbell, Matt Mia, Alex Sinclair, Chris Sotomayor, and Richard Eisenhower. And our letters are all VCs, Clayton Cows. <laughs> you got to do that all by himself. Our cover is Ryan Stegman with uh, Meyer and Martin. And um, we get back to the cover. It's Venom with his giant Venom bat wing sitting on the throne with his giant red sword that he got in King of Black and a bunch of Venom symbiote heads around. And they're all laughing, having a good time. It's a, it's a very decent cover. So... Wolverine is in this because they recap King in Black with some flashback panels, and we definitely see that. But we find out, you know, so in the end, they defeated King in Black, and then Venom was able with his symbiote to access the hive mind and freed all the symbiotes from Noel's control, and they kind of made him their new king. Not in a, I'm an evil tyrant kind of way, but just, hey, you saved us, we're going to help you. Um... We find out that through this process, Eddie Brock has been aged. So he's like an old man with a big gray beard now. Um, almost like a punk rock Santa Claus. <laughs> um, 
But they decide, so he, what he's able to do is he, he can stay here, but also be everywhere else through his hive mind. And so the symbiotes, he sends them out to do stuff like they go out in space and rescue some planets and civilizations and try to clean up some of the, the damage that Noel did. And that's kind of what the book's all about for a lot of it. Um, there's some really cool art um, with a different artist. We do find out that Dylan is... You know, at the end of Kingdom Black, there's a really strong connection where Dylan lost his powers, but Eddie promised, you know, hey, now this is done, I'm going to be here for you. But we, we find out he's spending a lot of time down in the basement, like, doing, helping the symbiotes do missions, and is not quite making quite as much time for Dylan as he had promised. You know, he's just gotten busy. Dylan tries to come down and talk to him sometimes, but he's not always available. And, you know, that leads to some stress in their dynamic, right? Um, they have kind of a, a, a hectic morning going to school where Eddie gets upset and then Dylan gets upset. But uh, there is kind of a cool thing. So the symbiote, Eddie's symbiote, the Venom symbiote, can detach completely now. Uh, he's free as well. And what he does is he turns himself into like a black dog. Uh, looks like a cross between like a pit, duel, pit bull and like a lab maybe. Anyway, he walks Dylan to school. And we have that, also that Venom cat. And we have a funny exchange where he's very catty. <laughs> and like, oh, by the way, Spider-Man has called like a bajillion times. And he's like, why didn't you tell me? He's like, I don't work here. And he kind of just throws the phone on the floor and meows away. Um, that's kind of cool. It's also cool because the Venom dog makes his own leash. <laughs> anyway, the, you, can, you can tell again in the parts I'm going to like more than the other parts, right? Uh, it was the, the family stuff, the kid stuff. I like Dylan. Um, so Dylan runs off, and he's disappointed that he brushed, you know, had a had a fight with him. And then there's a really cool scene where uh, Dylan's like, "What's your name? Like, I know when you're you and my dad together are Venom, but do you have a name?" And he's like, "Well, we do, but our language is not." It's really kind of almost an emotional language, right? That, that we have with the people we bond with. But he, he finds a way to try to tell him. And he lets Dylan feel it. And Dylan cries. Like he's so, he's so emotionally powerful, like he cries. And they go to school. Then Eddie meets Spider-Man. Spider-Man apologizes. You know, poor guilty Spider-Man. is like, oh, this is my fault. I'm the one that brought the original symbiote back to Earth. And, and all the business, that's my fault. And then Eddie... I guess I didn't realize Spider-Man didn't know this yet. But, you know, it's, it's all part of the retcons and all the Venom history that's gone on. You know, we, we know that there's been other symbiotes here, um, you know, like in the Vietnam War. And I think, I think they even mentioned here that, you know, the original Grendel myth was inspired by a symbiote dragon and all that stuff. And, and Eddie finally let Spider-Man know, you know what, you didn't bring the first symbiote here. Uh, they've been here a long, long time, and, you know, yeah, you brought my symbiote, but, I mean, things could have gone much, much differently, symbiotes were around, and it doesn't really matter, you know, you don't need to feel bad, and then he spaces out, and he's off doing other things, and, but a, a robber comes in, and of course, they stop him, and Spider-Man's like, I don't know how to help, I mean, I feel like I need to help you, and Eddie's like, you know what, you can still help me, you just won't be the same, I just need a friend, and Spider-Man's like, I can do that. Then he turns into a bat and flies off. <laughs> Venom, that is. And then we see him, like, kind of all over the place. He's meeting with the Guardians. He's meeting with the Avengers. He's meeting on Krakoa. 
with the Quiet Council and basically is is saying that he's worried that the Maker, he can't find the Maker. And of course, remember the Maker um, had was part of the Venom book. Uh, he got a symbiote to try to make his... He basically wanted to take the symbiote back to his universe and save the ultimate world, but that didn't really work. It was still destroyed, and so he wants to remake the ultimate universe on our Earth. And so Venom Eddie is, is warning everyone that, that the Maker's out there somewhere with his counselor reads, and he's probably going to make a play to take over the Earth. So that story's not done yet, which is interesting, because I don't know who's going to tell that. Um... And all the heroes, the different heroes, are like, yeah, you know, cool. We'll 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 keep an eye on this. We'll help you if, if it comes up. You know, definitely keep us posted. Dot dot dot. And then Gerardo Sandoval does a uh, Flash Thompson, Agent Venom or Agent Anti Venom. So we find out that there's more symbiotes still left on Earth than we knew about. The guardsmen are tracking him down. They kill one at the coffee shop where Flash Thompson is, and he turns into Anti Venom. And we see that he's going to still have stories, right? And then, you know, Dylan keeps getting in fights at school because people are picking on him. Um, and, you know, obviously that's not going well. And there's a real emotional scene with him in the principal's office or counselor's office. And he's like, I don't know. I just, I fought my whole life. I don't know how to stop. And, you know, later he and the dog are walking home. It's raining and they stumble across Jack-O-Lantern, like, beating someone up. And Jack Lantern, you know, Dylan says something, Venom intervenes, turns into a giant dog, and he's gonna eat Jack Lantern, but Jack Lantern shoots him with, I guess, a Hellfire gun or something, because it goes through the symbiote and hits Dylan. And Dylan's in trouble. And the symbiote wraps him up and turns into a giant Venom and takes Jack Lantern out and really beats him possibly to death. You know, it's interesting because, um, and we'll get a, actually a, a reference to this in a little bit. But Venom was a lot like Pitt. And if you want to hear someone talk about Pitt, of course, go listen to my good friend John Wilson on All the Pouches. Uh, covers early Pitt issues. But um, he's a giant hulking Venom, and he has these chains wrapped around his wrist, right? these long, long chains. And, and that's the look he goes for. And he comes home, and Eddie's waiting for him. He says, that didn't take long. And Dylan's like, what? And so the Venom suit, it's actually pretty cool visually, and Stegman's doing this part. The Venom suit opens up, and Dylan's inside, but he's much smaller than the suit. And the symbiote makes like a little staircase for him to walk down out of the suit. It's pretty cool. Like, it looks nice. Um, and basically what we find out then is now Eddie condones and blesses Dylan being Venom. And they'll all be Venom together. Like, they'll be Team Venom. And he goes, what's with the chains, though? And Dylan's like, well, all my old favorite comic books use chains. Referring to Pitt, Spawn, what have you. Uh, Definitely probably Kate's channeling, you know, his fandom, right? And then uh, he says, plus I think webs were were overdone. And it's interesting because the, the spider logo on Venom is more like a dragon. Which, of course, we've seen a lot of dragons in this run of Venom. So it kind of makes sense. And, yeah, they decide that's that's what they're going to do. They're going to be Team Venom. And that's that. So, double-sized 200th issue. Um, 
the cap on the Kate Stegman run, uh, you know, all other some other really good artists like Yvonne Quello were also a part of that, um, which he was not in this at all. That's kind of disappointing. I just realized that. Um, you know, we had lots of cool different art. I think it's a nice conclusion to the story. Um, it's kind of weird, right? I mean, I don't know if I would be like, well, sure, son, go get this symbiote and put your life in danger all the time and I'll help you do that <laughs> like I don't know but maybe in that situation if I knew Venom was going to protect him that's kind of what Eddie says right like like you're no, there's nowhere you're safer than inside the symbiote because he at one point he says because he says he can't control or use his symbiote through the hive mind like he's separate and that makes him the most powerful symbiote in the universe um so, yeah, I don't know. I I enjoyed this more than I thought I would. Um, I don't know, man. Um, I mean, there's a lot here. It's really, really long. And, man, it was expensive. Um, I'll probably give Venom 200 a, a 3 out of 6 claws. I think it could have been condensed a little bit. And maybe rated a little higher. But I think, as it is, 3 out of 6, uh, you know, on the verge of 4. Uh, pretty good. Uh, these ads. I gotta get the ad-free version of this comic reader I'm doing here on my phone. But sorry about that if you heard of that. Um, so the last thing we're going to talk about today is Captain America Annual One, uh, and the most recent one, of course, not the not the old ones. Um, and I'm trying to pull it up here. Get to my C's. Where'd you go, buddy? There you are. So this is part of the Infinite Fury story and the Infinite Destiny story. Um, and this is going to be written by Jerry Dugan, art by Marco Castiello, inks by Vincenzo, Vincenzo Acunzo, colors by Ruth Redmond, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna, and then cover by Alex Garner. And on the cover, we have this, our guy, Override, I think is his name. Is that right? Oh. At the end, they have like a chart. Where did that chart go? Overtime. All right, so Overtime was a guy that had like, he ended up with like kind of a Green Lantern suit. But all right, remember from in the last version of Infinity Wars, not the one we did recently on the flashback, but the one we did a couple years ago in real time, um... Adam Warlock at the end, like, was tired of the jewels being able to, and their stones being able to come together, so he split them out, and they all went to people. So now all, kind of like the, you know, Infinity Watch concept after the other <laughs> um, Infinity Wars, um, no, sorry, after Infinity Gauntlet, um, where he split the stones up and, and had people watch them. This time he just dispersed them, and they just found people, or maybe he, he chose, I don't know. But anyway, this guy in prison, remember, uh, Hector Bautista, I think his name is, um, was on death row for, for murdering uh, an old couple during an uh, armed robbery gone wrong, and he, the time stone finds him, and he becomes overtime, and remember in Wolverine and Infinity Watch, he was one of the characters in that story, which uh, we reviewed quite highly on the Snick cast here. Um, so anyway, he's on the cover here with Captain America, and that's kind of the story we're going to get to. So, we get a little bit of, of kind of reminder of what happened to him, which of course includes one panel of Wolverine. 
Um, we find out that that Black Widow and Captain America at least have found out that Adam Warlock dispersed the stones and some people have them and they're trying and I guess they had a run-in with Star in part one. I actually meant to read part one and somehow missed that it came out. And so I'm going to go back and try to catch it. I'm pretty sure Wolverine's not in there so I think I'm good from a podcast perspective but I would like to check it out. Um... Anyway, so they're trying to track down the people that have the stones, and they're going to go after Hector Bautista down in Texas. And he was sighted, so they're they're tracking him down. And he, they find him like outside of town. He's in a barn bouncing a baseball, and they just want to talk to him. And of course, he gets kind of panicky, so he's trying to figure out, and he keeps talking about like his new goal. Like he he's barely learned how to use the stone. But he wants to master time and go back in time and undo what he did. Because he didn't mean for what happened to happen. He really regressed. He talks about how he was, he was high. And when he did the robbery and, you know, kind of just went and panicked. And when he shot them, and he just he wants to go back and change it. Right? That's his, his life mission now is to try to master the time stone and go back and change his past. And it's not just a like, oh, I want to go back and not go to prison. Like, I'm, it's really it doesn't feel like that he's he regrets getting caught. He regrets doing it at all, and that's some pretty good character development, right? Um, but of course, Captain America and, and Black Widow tried to capture him, but he runs off on a motorcycle, and there's a the big chase scene that's pretty fun. There's a scene where he he sees a lady walking a baby, and he he barely misses running into him, but he stops. And then all we see is a stroller falling out of the sky. And Captain America, of course, jumps off and catches it. But we see that it's empty. He just took the stroller. And we see the, the mom kissing the baby off to the side. Um, but it distracted Captain America, but not Black Widow. And she doesn't know the baby wasn't in there. She's like, Captain America, stop to catch the stroller, you villain. And, you know, they fight. He, you know, it's funny. He keeps yelling, stop, just to, like, slow down time. That's how he's able to kind of keep up with Black Widow and Captain America. But um, there's a really cool scene, always Matrixy, where he stops. Like Black Widow shoots at him, and he stops the bullets and turns them around, and then they shoot back at Black Widow and don't kill her, but knock her off the motorcycle. And you see like the halos of the kind of the, the bullets restarting when he restarts time. It's pretty cool. Um, some more fight stuff. Uh, some pretty good action scenes. Uh, they find him in the thrift store trying to get some new clothes and they're able to capture him. But he gets away, of course, and gets the shield. And he just keeps saying, why won't you guys just leave me alone and let me figure out what I need to do to fix this? And they're like, no, you have to go back to jail. You have to be held accountable. And he eventually is able to cause an explosion and get away. And Cap is upset. And then we have another story, the Infinite Fury story part by Jed McKay and Juan... Pereira, uh, and VCs Joe Caramagna does the letters, and this is cool, it's all like a random blue tent, but it's basically, Captain America comes to find Nick Fury Jr. and says, you know, the Infinity Stones are back in play, they're different people, we've encountered Overtime, we've encountered Star, and all this is framed like in a, in a boxing training session, and with some pretty cool art, and some pretty cool panel work, um, there's one page, like, the page is like a big star, like a Captain America star, and white, and then there's red and blue panels around it, 
Uh, it's pretty cool while they're boxing and talking. And, of course, you know, Fury and Grease is going to help. And the next chapter will be in Black Cat, annual number one. Uh, this is really fun. The art was pretty good. I enjoy a good Infinity Stone romp. I like that this guy... You know, I like that he wants to make amends and he wants to change, but, of course, you know, the, he, the quote-unquote heroes won't let him. Um, but you understand from Captain America's perspective, right? Like, here's a, a dangerous criminal who looks like a supervillain, like he's made a nice supervillain costume. And, you know, he has an Infinity Stone, which is super dangerous, and they need to be able to, like, kind of take him in and get the stone back or, or whatever, right? And, and as we know, even from back when, right, when Black Widow had found a stone and left it <laughs> in, the, in the the toilet tank for Logan to find, right? Uh, or maybe he left it for her. I can't remember which way that went now. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, I mean, they, they have vested interest in wanting to make sure the stones don't fall in the wrong hands and you, know, you understand you understand from both sides why they're trying to do what they're trying to do and so yeah i i enjoyed it i mean the art was pretty good um the action was good some of the faces maybe not as much all the time but um yeah i thought this was pretty fun i would give this five out of six claws and i want to go try to find the first chapter and i would definitely continue reading um so there you go that's our episode so uh, just a little bit of detail about what's coming up. So I know I originally intended to go ahead and do our first episode on the gala with the Excaliburs here. Um, due to some scheduling and vacations and stuff, we're just going to go ahead and cover that all at once. So, just so we don't lose issues, I do just want to mention real fast, even though Wolverine's not in them, but I normally cover them with the with the Excaliburs, uh, Way of X number 2 and X-Men number 20 both of which I'm giving six out of six claws. Um, Way of X is everything I want from a Nightcrawler book. Um, it's got good action. It's got good introspective philosophy. <laughs> um, it's just very, very well written. Um, and, I, and the art's grown on me quite a bit. Like, I remember thinking maybe it was maybe the weak link in issue number one. I don't think that anymore. I like it a lot. It's really grown on me a lot. Uh, it helps that Bob Quinn seems to be an excellent guy. Right, like that—that that never hurts when the artist is as good or better than the art itself. So that—that's nice. I've been, been following him on Twitter and just enjoyed seeing him talk about stuff. Um, but yeah, no, really, really enjoyed it. And then of course X Men, we see several plot points or seeds planted and kind of start to grow out of the ground uh, with the activation of Nimrod and Mystique just continuing to get mad. Um, about the way uh, Charles and Xavier are dangling the destiny carrot in front of her. And you understand why, why she would be pissed because they, they keep saying, well, if you do this, then we'll bring her back. And, of course, they send her on these impossible missions and then when she fails, they're like, oh, sorry, we can't bring her back because you didn't hold up your end of the deal. I mean, it's not our fault. It's really your fault. And understandably... Mystique is super pissed about that. <laughs> I mean, who would not be? And then, we now, now of course, we've recently had the tease of the Inferno storyline, which will not be as much about Maddie making a deal with the devil, but actually like a raging Inferno of Mystique's righteous anger against Krakoa, or at least against a couple of the leaders of Krakoa. 
now I think the argument can be made, right, that you know maybe maybe um, maybe she's actively being screwed over by Xavier Magneto, but why is no one else stepping in to help her, right? I think there's got to be some feeling of that too. So both of those books, excellent, excellent books. I'll definitely you know when we do get together, we'll probably have a very quick chat with Dan and Georgie about them before we move officially into the gala. But, um, yeah, so the way things worked out schedule, we're going to do the whole gala in one big shebang, uh, which should be a lot of fun. It'll probably mean moving through some books pretty quickly with them, but I, I think it's okay, and I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, next flashback episode will be the Infinity Crusade for 1993. Uh, my plan was to have these episodes come out pretty close together and kind of get back on schedule, but I'm way behind on, there's a lot, Infinity Crusade has a lot of books, and I'm not anywhere near where I need to be in my reading <laughs> to have an episode ready when I wanted to, so, but we'll get, we'll get that out as soon as we can. Um, and then, of course, um, you know, we have episode 450 coming up, and also our ninth anniversary coming up. Nine years, man. Good grief. Um, my plan right now is, if I get every, through everything the way I want to, is to do Fatal Attractions for the, the anniversary episode. And then maybe something else pretty cool for 450. So, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm not going to promise that, and uh, I'll, I almost already kind of regret saying it out loud, but that's okay. It'll give me something to shoot for, to try to stay accountable to you listeners. So, anyway, uh, that's going to be it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, hope you're looking forward to some of the things we have coming down the road. And um, as always, you can, for the podcast to go snicked, you can like the Facebook page. Twitter is at snickcast. Uh, show notes and stuff are at snickcast.podbean.com and please guys stay well stay safe out there um you know just be good to each other and so with that until next time hugs and snicks everyone bye bye and snacked <laughs>